0: This is Jason Albert, and you are listening to Nordic Nation from Faster Skier. Last week, Ben Lusgarden, who is 27 years old and races for the Crassberry Green Racing Project in Vermont, announced he was retiring from full-time training for cross-country skiing. In this episode, we touched base with Ben, who was in Burlington, Vermont, and is about to start a full-time career in the renewable energy business.
1: Yeah, so I'll start at the beginning, I guess. Um, so, I mean, I grew up with an active outdoor family. Um, racing was never a priority or even an interest for a very long time. Uh, We grew up um, alpine skiing, actually, when we were younger, and and Nordic skiing to us was literally just walking on fish scales through the woods, and it was was fun and nice, but I didn't even know really about racing. Um, Never did a ski race until high school. So yeah, so I actually grew up kind of just doing all sorts of sports, soccer mostly with my brother. Alpine skiing on the weekends. And then once in a while, our dad would force us out in the woods on cross-country skis. Um, And then kind of throughout middle school, my brother was like a track star and just phenomenally talented at sprinting and jumping. Um, So in order to not have to compete against him and get beat by him, I chose to do like distance running in track, which for me like meant the 800 meter run back in middle school. And then, so I kind of just started distance running, uh, I guess, seventh grade or so. Um, and then my best friend at the time, Andrew Freeman, um, convinced me to join the cross-country running team at freshman year of high school. So then we started kind of progressing into cross-country running. My brother was still so- playing soccer at the time, and then... Um, Andrew also was a biathlete. He did that um, for a little bit. And so he's like, you should join the cross-country ski team. And I'm like, well, I've never skied in my life, so I just want a classic ski. Um, so, yeah, so, so it turns out we had to do both. So I got like a $10 pair of Peltonins for, from some ski swap and combi boots. And then we started skiing freshman year um, of high school. And I learned how to skate ski the day before the first race. And I remember that race because it was at Mount Hoare. And it was like negative three degrees Fahrenheit. And I didn't know what wind briefs were. <laughs> <And> <laughs> right. I didn't know how to skate ski. So I felt like my legs were going to fall off. And I think my brother had to drop out of the race due to an asthma attack. And I like, I think I had to stop halfway through the race to like catch my breath. And then we were driving home, and we're like, "This sport is horrible. I want to quit. I never want to do this again." And uh, I guess we we just didn't quit, obviously. And I mean, I was just not a good skier for a while. Um, And then we just, yeah, we just kind of got better. Like, I guess I trained for track and field and cross country running. That was like my main sport. I was getting better at cross country running. Um, and ended up winning a fair amount of races my senior year, and actually was going to go to college for running, and was getting recruited by some colleges for cross country running. And then senior year, I won both states in skiing and qualified for JOS at the time, or Junior Nationals, um, and got like a top a few top tens or a top ten, I think. And then all of a sudden, I was like, I like skiing more than running, and I made the change to. Try and ski.
0: And did you take a gap year or did you head right to Middlebury after your senior year of high
1: school? I thought about taking a gap year at possibly GMVS and uh, David Sinclair, who was also a legend at the time. Uh, We were kind of considering maybe taking a gap year together. Because we were the same year, but at the end of the day, I just figured going to college was a smarter choice, and it also financially made sense for me and my brother to go to college at the same time, so we could get financial aid um, as a family. So I just made sense to go straight to college, and I'm actually really glad I made that decision. Um, And then, yeah, just skiing through college—that kind of is history. I just every year trained a bit more, got a bit better, a bit more experienced, and. Um, I did qualify for NCAAs my freshman year. And then that kind of fueled the fire for the next few years of trying to get better and better at that.
0: You have a fraternal twin. Is that right? Yes, that is right. Does that, did that rivalry? I mean, it sounded like he had a little more, uh, fast switch muscle fiber where he was excelling in the sprinting realm and you delved into the distance realm. Um, and from what I gather, it's a healthy relationship, yeah. but competitive in some capacities. How did that evolve? I guess I'm curious, you know, as you transitioned from, you know, college into the relationship with your brother, how did that evolve as you transitioned from, you know, uh, a great collegiate ski career to professional ski career?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'll actually start even earlier than that. So my brother and I were like best friends. I mean, we had our arguments here and there, but best friends all throughout high school, very supportive. Um, he struggles though from asthma and scoliosis. So he actually had a lot of challenges being a skier, um, with his back pain and then asthma attacks. Um, and I think I have a bit more endurance genetics from my father and he has a bit more power fast twitch from uh, my mother's side of the family. So he is like a just gifted sprinter coordinated athletes, like soccer, you know, every, any ball sport, he's just way better than me. Um, so I kind of, as I matured throughout high school, I, I found it not easy, but, um, just natural to, to get better and better at distance skiing and running. And then he, he wanted to do better at skiing. So he swapped over to cross country running and skiing. And I think that, um, I had a bit better results, uh, as we got older and I think that was pretty challenging for him and then through college he went so we uh, I went to Middlebury he went to St. Lawrence and that was actually pretty hard because we were very close in high school um, mm-hmm. but we can see each other every weekend at the races which is great but then he had appendicitis during a year in college and missed a bunch of races um, I always wish that sprinting was part of the circuit for Eric because I think I do think he even if he wanted to, he could have gone pro as a, a sprinter, like those three to four minute races. He he won mm-hmm. JOs um, at Soldier Hollow in the sprint and Junior National Championships in the sprint in 2012, I think. So he's a gifted sprinter, and we like never did proper training for it, even. Um, so it just is a bummer that the college scene didn't support that at the time, and I mean there's tons of. Sp- out there that, um, also I'm sure feel the same way. Um, but being a distance skier and racing NCAA circuit, like the 10 K 20 K's were great for me. Um, so, and then kind of going post college, he, um, got a job down in DC where, the, where his girlfriend was. And then I was offered a spot on the Sun Valley gold team. So I kind of went my way, but the harder transition for us was going from high school to college. Cause that was the first time we were kind of separated. And kind of the maturity and transition with my body versus his, like I found it quite natural to keep moving on to those next steps. And he he did phenomenally well in college. I mean, top 10s, top 20s, and uh, qualifying, or he almost qualified for NCAA senior year, like one spot out, I think. Um, but yeah, so I just, it was a bummer that he couldn't sprint at that level when he was kind of maturing into his powerful skiing phase.
0: Yeah, and like you said, I think there's a lot of probably a lot of kids out there who feel yeah. similarly just about you know sprint or lack of sprint opportunities in, in college. Um, yeah, so I I want you to talk a little bit about you know the choice you made to move out west mm-hmm. um, after college yep. and how that helped your career, but also. Um, you know, as you transition, you know, we'll talk about moving over to, to Craftsbury, two very different training environments, not necessarily from like, and and maybe this is the case, but I, I'm not going to get into like what one coach may have prescribed or not prescribed necessarily, but from an altitude standpoint.
1: Yep. Uh we train at five six around five five. Okay. So not super
0: high. Kind of like No, it's a,
1: significant though.
0: Okay. So talk a little bit about yeah, that transition from growing up at it's not quite sea level, but pretty low. Yeah. And skiing at Middlebury, also low, to a training environment where you have opportunities to get up super high on, you know, baldy any given day. There's no snow. Right. Um, but training roughly at, you know, a mile high.
1: Yeah. So so um for a few summers during Middlebury, I actually was encouraged by my coach, Andrew Gardner, to, to train in Sun Valley for the summers because there's a good um, college training group at the time, and we could maybe jump in some workouts with the gold team, and it was just different. you know. At some point, the runs around Burlington got pretty old after four years, so, um, so that's what I did. Uh, Eric and I spent one summer together in Sun Valley, and then for two summers after that, I also kept going out to Sun Valley to train um, with the group out there. And it was, it was a fun time. I mean, we had, we'd live with several college kids from, you know, New England colleges and the Western colleges as well. And we had a great training group. We would, some of us would be working like the same kind of jobs, landscaping. And, uh, it was just really fun. And the altitude training was great. We get enough fitness and then come back down to sea level for fall training. So then that kind of uh, started the roots. For-
0: did, did you, did you notice that like coming back to, to Middlebury or, or wherever and racing lower? Did you feel that boost?
1: Yeah. I always feel pretty good coming back from altitude at least for a week or so. But, um, after learning more about the physiology with, uh, PePA the last few years, it makes more sense also looking back on it, just that, uh, intensity, you can recover faster at sea level. Um, but I, I feel like the training at altitude just gives you that, like, you just feel fit. You're just going to, like, feel fitter, but you don't necessarily get a whole lot faster. You just get, like, this nice endurance feeling in your body, like efficiency, that is. Um, and I feel like it was good for my, my racing. I got better and better each year at Middlebury, and it seemed like a good fit. And then I was approached after U.S. National Championships in 2014. Um Yeah, 2014. So that's when I graduated. And Colin Rogers asked if I want to be part of the gold team. And I thought it was kind of a natural transition because that's where I spent the last three summers. So I said yes and uh, joined the gold team out of college.
0: And I interrupted you there and I apologize for that. But did you have a thread that you were going to go with? That's okay. Uh,
1: No, no, that was fine.
0: What was your takeaway? Like, you know, holistically spending that time in Sun Valley before moving over or back to Vermont. Um, and working with Peppa, what did you learn to, one, you know, before you moved on, get the most out of that situation that you could to improve?
1: Yeah, well, so my time at Sun Valley was actually incredibly challenging um, because I had that crash my senior year of college into that tree where I tore my PCL, LCL, and just a bunch of damage on my right knee. Um, So I was in like a brace for a long time. And, like, started running at the end of that summer. Um, and during – also during that summer, I uh, tore a ligament in my thumb. So I couldn't really roller ski, couldn't run, couldn't – I just was incredibly limited with my training. Um, so it was quite frustrating. I was doing a lot of, like, spinning on a spin mm-hmm. bike and hiking up Baldy. Um, and that's – honestly, I couldn't do a whole lot more. Um, so that year was challenging. Um And then I think it was the next year my grandfather was – he was battling cancer and passed away in 2015 uh, just after Christmas. Um, And so the combination of of the injury and then being so far from my family kind of for the first time in my life like that extended time during the – and I was very close with my grandfather. They live in South Burlington. Um, and so it was just really hard. Um, and I wasn't, I wasn't meeting my goals as a skier. I was finding it was very, like I was in the maybe top 20 consistently in the super tour, but I wasn't qualifying for world cups. So I wasn't really like feeling like I could make that jump. And, um, at basically later in my second year at Sun Valley, I was like, you know what? This just is too emotionally challenging for me right now like battling and then kind of the financial su- support was, it wasn't quite um, as strong as craft. I mean, I don't think any team is as strong as Craftsbury support. And so dealing with the sponsors and all that stuff, it was, it was just a lot, you know? Um, and then I I realized I, I just needed to come home, especially be there for my mom because uh, of my grandfather's passing. and um, and I just, it just felt like I needed to be closer to family. So, I was looking at uh, the Craftsbury program and was talking to Heather Mooney, who was uh, a Middlebury skier with me. And then she was racing on the green racing project. And um, it just seemed like a good, a good fit. It was close to home, which is, was the most important thing for me at that time. Uh, it was at sea level, which could improve my training. Cause I think altitude might've been challenging for me to recover at. And financially it makes the most sense for my situation at that time. So with those three factors basically I just felt that it was something to look into so I applied and interviewed and I uh, was accepted in 2016 for that team and I think it was it was a challenging uh, move um, but I think it was really good for my career and also just to be closer to my family
0: how would, would you, you and this is something I can you know I would ask different athletes and I certainly should probably reach out to Peppa, but how would you, yep. for you, how would you generalize Peppa's kind of training paradigm?
1: Man, Peppa is one of a kind. I think she's what, what I really like made me like her very quickly and trust her very, like just immediately was how invested she is in her job. I don't know another coach in, any circuit who is as invested at being a better coach and knowing more about the sport and physiology of Nordic skiing than Peppa. I think I, it was something I was looking for just in a coach to like, she would spend all her free time researching. Her life was to be the best coach for a Nordic skier as, as physically possible and mentally possible. And and I was, like, thirsty for knowledge. I wanted to I ask a lot of questions, and I learned a lot at Sun Valley, and I think it was a great experience, but I think she was the next level of, of dedication and knowledge to the sport. And um, so I think I learned just tons of technique and strength and endurance and all the philosophy of, like, training more at sea level to, like, we could train harder, we could train more and recover faster at sea level i think i bumped my hours up like 180 hours in a year um yeah i went from 675 really? to 830 whatever that is yeah 150 maybe uh in one year and that was the year i won nationals and qualified for world champs in my first world cups um okay and that and was in just 2017 kind of, yeah so in lati yeah Lottie. okay yep So that's where I made the jump, and that's also, like, my results were just, I went from being, like, an 11th place super tour skier to, like, podiuming in my, or top five in my first few, and I was like, wow, this is, I was also the only guy on the team at the time, um, because they had a bunch of guys retire the year before, or two years before, and then Alex Howe went from skiing to biathlon, so I was the only male cross-country skier that year, Um, so she was thinking about like possibly rebuilding the men's team. Cause she had a phenomenal girls team, um, you know, with Caitlin Patterson and Heather and all of those years. So Kate as well.
0: How, so as the only guy on that team for, it sounds like at least one training cycle, is that right? Yep. Okay. And that would bring, that would be the two thousand sixteen to 17, 16 to 17. Okay. Um, what was that like? I mean, I think that, you know, his, traditionally we hear it's like you have to be part of a big, you know, a training group yeah. with, a, with a good cohort to push you. It obviously, in, at least for that period of time, worked for you. Was that sort of something where you had to convince yourself like, okay, I'm not going to get slower because I'm training by myself? Or maybe you tapped into other athletes in, in the region to be like, hey, join me for a workout. But how did that play out if you were the only guy on the team?
1: Well, actually, so – I was the only guy on the Nordic team, but I did train with the biathletes all summer. So I was training with Mike, uh, Ethan, and Alex. Uh, So we were doing intervals together, a lot of workouts together. Uh, But then, like, you know, on the road, I was the only guy. Um, But I actually do very well training alone. Um, I feel like I know how to pace myself for the distance workouts. I kind of think I don't slack off too much. Um, and I, I stayed pretty focused and sometimes it's just nice to like not compare yourself to others, especially like I was rebuilding my fitness coming from Sun Valley. I feel like I was a bit out of shape in the spring of 2016. So I kind of like had to whip myself into shape all summer. Um, and then by the fall I was like starting to feel a bit fitter and I'll also like completely revamped my strength plan. Um, so I was doing strength that I've never done before and a lot more of it. And I think that that just I just felt very focused. I just kind of I did my own plan. I did my own routine. I would talk to Peppa and like listen to how my body felt, and I just did as much training as I could while feeling like I wasn't running myself down. And uh, sometimes it's easier by yourself. Honestly, you don't have to like worry about what other people are doing or feel like you're doing too much or too little, and you just kind of do what you need, and that's it.
0: For you, what was like a real kind of breakthrough moment, or either a series of races or a race where you felt like, okay, I'm tapping into the best version of myself as a ra- as a racer.
1: I mean, it was by far the the time I won nationals. Um, I f- like that day. So it was 2017 30k classic at Soldier Hollow. So at altitude. Um, I actually, I had my best sprint ever, like two days before in the classic sprint. I like qualified 10th and finished 10th, um, first time past the quarters. That was a weird day. Was like, that
0: was a funky, that was a funky sprint day.
1: Like raining and snowing and all sorts of stuff. And then I actually felt like so terrible warming up for the 30 K. I w- like asked Peppa if I should race. And she's like, you know what? Just go out there see how you feel. I did probably like a 25-minute warm-up with no intervals, just like testing skis. And then I started, and my skis were amazing thanks to our wax techs. Um, and I, I know that that's a pretty big part to play, but also like uh, I think I skied. I felt unbelievable just like I had infinite gears. It's the kind of feeling you always want to feel, but you only get like three times a year. Um, or
0: ever. I remember that race actually, yeah. now that you bring that up. You were, who was in second? Was that
1: David that? Norris and oh. I were, okay. um, so we, we had a top group of probably like six or seven skiers and yep. I was fighting myself from breaking away. I was like, I don't know why everyone is going so much slower, but it just, cause I felt my skis were just amazing kick. They were a little slow, but like the kick was amazing, which I think we needed on that course. Um, and I noticed my skis were slower than David's. So I had to make sure it didn't come down to a sprint because it's downhill into the stadium. Yeah. So I had to make my move like, and I had just made my move, I think two laps. It was an eight lap race so two laps to go. And it just felt just wonderful. And, uh, I felt fit and strong and like, I don't know, it was, it was amazing. Um,
0: and you were way off if I remember properly, like,
1: yeah, I think it was like 45 seconds or something. Okay. Yeah.
0: And Freeman was yep. up there. I don't know if Chris got he,
1: third. He was third.
0: Okay, yep. guys, you're, you're, it's coming back into my memory. This, this yeah. I remember that. Um, yeah, what are your feelings about how difficult it is to, you know, for for most, I would say for most. Let's let's just say let's focus on distance skiers, most domestic-based distance skiers and yep. international-based distance skiers, right? How difficult it is to really pop into that top thirty benchmark on on the guys' side on the World Cup. And yep. as an example, right? And I know that you were over there for a while this year, um, and and I don't know if you ever had either the pleasure or the displeasure of listening to Devin Kershaw and I would yeah. do a podcast after each world cup. But one of the things that we invariably, it was like, yeah. Oh my gosh, on the guy's side, it's so dense with Norway and Russia. I mean, for good reason. I mean, they are populating oftentimes, you know, 13 of the top 20 athletes, just something outrageous. So oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think one of the things that you it's sort of wisdom from Ben and Garden, but like what did you observe about just how difficult that arena is?
1: It is to anyone listening, it is unbelievably difficult to get a top thirty. I like I mean, I train full time. I dedicate my life to this for years, and like I like to think I'm decently fit and pretty strong, and like I think my technique is good enough. But you need to have the race of your life on the best skis you've ever had and a fair amount of good luck to get a top 30. And I think, like, I also, so I think it really depends on the person. So I, I, I'm a person, I'm introverted, I like my structure, I like my routine, I like kind of where I'm comfortable. Racing in the US and Canada I feel very comfortable and I can get consistently good races even like a bad race for me it might be like sixth or seventh place um, which I'm, I'm happy about like how consistent I can be in the US and Canada and I go over there and you know the time change a the travel you know usually you're travel like five or six days out the food is completely different usually race early afternoon which is completely different it's just So different. A lot of times your warm-up schedule is all messed up because you can only get on course for a certain amount of time, or there's no snow in Europe per usual. So you have to do a lot of running, or there's like a very small window. The snow is almost always like this transformed man-made because everything's like around freezing or warmer and all just these man-made snow. So your skis might not be running, and then usually have a different wax tech for the U.S. ski team, so they don't really know your fleet. It's it's shocking. Like You think every time... I mean, I've done this four years in a row. I've made the World Cup. And I'm like, this year, it's going to be different. I'm going to go over there. I'm going to settle in a routine. I'm going to focus on my skis. Like Get them to be right. And every time, it's just like... I'm like, oh, I'm back at square one. And I finish. And I'm like, oh, that was a good race. I look at the results. I'm like 60th. I'm like, how am I three minutes out of the top 30? Or like two minutes out of the top 30? And I, I just... I mean, looking back on my career, I've raced maybe 27 World Cup starts, and I can say with confidence I felt good for three to four of them. And for some reason, I just, I guess, looking back, uh, I got this really bad sickness my first year in Lati, and then I didn't eat for three days, so then obviously the next few weeks were rough. Um, I got sick after the tour to ski, for really sick, and then... Are we um, last year, the tour ski. Yeah, last year, tour to ski. I got pretty yep. sick. So each year, I just have illness kind of plagued me. Um, so I'm not going to say, like, oh, every single race I botched. And I'm not going to, I don't know. It's hard to just make an excuse either. I don't like doing that. But uh, it's challenging. It's really challenging to go over there. Some guys can do it better than others. Generally, I find people that are a bit more flexible, people that are a bit more, kind of, can make themselves comfortable quickly. Um, yeah, those kind of skiers will will do better if going on the World Cup. I think what's really cool is for all of us distance skiers is watching David Norris this past year and a half. Like he has made the jump that we have all wanted to do, is like, you know, top domestic skier, you know, super tour leader going over to Europe and then just really like having some good races, cranking some top thirties, and he's been doing it all season, which is like I mean, it's, it's amazing watching What he's done is like our dream basically. So there's hope, but it's, uh, it's challenging.
0: Sure. And it has been, like you said, it's been cool to, I, you know, I think it's no mystery in a year where, um, you know, things all of a sudden became a little unsettled on the distance side for guys. Yeah. Right. I mean, Eric Bjornson stepped away and yes, you know, after December races, um, did not ski the tour to ski. Um, and I'm sure I'm kind of, oh, and I, I know Scott Patterson had a down year and yeah, he some sickness. is yep, yeah. kind of trying to figure out that. And then there's like the pressure of like, you know, I cover the sport, the news cycle of like, okay, I wake up in the weekends. I know I'm, you know, there's going to be a few, a handful of us women in the top 10, top 15 podium, whatever. Um, yeah. It, but there's the argument to be made right and i know people are very public about this they're like it is statistically how densely packed that top 30 is time wise yeah. on the men's side and again i don't mean to diminish from yeah. like a top 10 or whatever on the women's side but like i think statistically of course the yeah. time gaps are a little um little broader when it comes to top 30 time gaps right Um, and I should probably get Matt Wickham to, you know, say something about that. But, but in that sense, um, like you got to keep hope alive. Right. And I think that's something like is, is cool that David did this year and you've done for a long time. Mm -hmm. Let me frame it contextually. I'm like, okay, so those guys that are elite level skiers, Kyle, Brat Road, yourself, um, Ian Torchia is a lot younger. I think he's maybe 23 at this point. Um, and I'm sure there's other names, but I'm not going to, this won't be exhaustive, but then you have this young crop of U twenties that are killing it. And again, they haven't necessarily been tested thoroughly at the world cup level and nor do I want to be the person like judging them on that at all. But like, what was your calculus? Yeah. You know, as I have to say, I was a little bit surprised. I was like, I expected to see some retirements, but certainly not yours and not Kyle's. And
1: yeah, I've got a lot of surprises from it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
0: I I was a little bit surprised and a little bit, honestly a little bit bummed because I I feel like I enjoy one of the things in particular. I remember reaching out to you after the tour to ski last year and I think you like, it was cool. I think people were genuinely stoked that there was an American completing the tortoise ski and grinding it out and not necessarily, hopefully not killing themselves for the rest of the season, but, (laughs) but representing the U S and persevering in a very difficult and stout, you know, back to back to back to back, you know, races. So what was your calculus this year when you were like, "I, I am ready. And I respect that, but I'm just sort of want to get some insight into when things settled after the season.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the big question. Like why? And, uh, I've thought about it for a long time. Um, now, I mean, I, I hold myself to like very high standards and expectations. So when I like didn't get a top 30, my first two years on the world cup, I was super bummed. And Peppa's just like, you know what, Benny, like, I don't know why you're bummed. It takes years and years to do it. And, uh, it's just, you know, it's just who I am. But basically the last, honestly, ever since I didn't qualify for the Olympics, uh, I've started to really question um, everything, and the that Olympic year. I mean, I'm not going to go into it. That there was some political mm-hmm. stuff going on. There was some discretion stuff going on. I don't want to get into the nitty gritty. Um, everyone had a challenging time picking teams and the standards and the races and the courses, whatever. That it happened, but I I uh, feel like I was I was I was on track to qualify. Um, I was Super Tour leader period one. All I needed was a few good races at nationals, and I couldn't really put it together in the right way and ever since that, I was really like, "You know what? I don't know if the sacrifice is quite worth it if I don't meet my goals. Um, I became a bit too goal oriented or um, and not, and the process was getting a bit more challenging. Um, Cause you know, you're supposed to like love the process and then you get the the goal instead of vice versa. Um, and kind of, you know, the sacrifices you make when you're 22 and 23 just seem so easy and simple, like dedicate your life to skiing, give up seeing friends, family, et cetera. Like you just train full time. It's great. It's fun. You get faster and fitter. But when you're 25, 26, 27, the plateaus happen a bit more often. You can't quite push the training as much each year. And then, yeah, I mean, the plateaus are real. Like, you'll have a few weeks where you don't race as well. You stop improving. Like, when you're 19, 20, 21, every year, you just get better and better because your body's maturing, you're adapting higher training. And so, kind of, uh, honestly, Kyle's interview was amazing. Like, I found inspiration from that. I already made my decision before that, but the way he represented how we feel, kind of at this level of, like, top domestic skiers but not making our goals on the world cup really it's very real and like going racing on the world cup is very challenging um i personally don't enjoy living out of a hotel um full-time i don't love the constant travel you know that's just my own personal opinion on it and so it doesn't seem like a sustainable endeavor for me um and i kind of had to come to terms with that Um, and it was, it was challenging. It's, it's sad to, my dream was to be an Olympian and it's, I mean, you know, it's not guaranteed that I won't go, but stepping away from full time seems to be certainly that direction. Um, and, but then at the end of the day, like is saying I'm an Olympian worth two more years of my life because that's mostly ego, you know, that's not gonna, you know, give me like fuel in my heart for like what i do if i don't enjoy it as much anymore
0: i do absolutely hear what you're saying and i I, because i often think you know the olympics are huge here in the u.s in particular canada and especially around sports like you know skiing where you know it's on everybody's radar you know once every quadrennial yep and so I often am thinking, you know, again, I have no skin in the game besides work. Right. And I have friends. Yep. I mean, there are people I obviously care about who are aspiring to be an Olympic, you know, cross country athlete that I care about. And I'm like, yeah. okay, well, how would I advise them as a parent? What would I say? You know, being an older person. Um, but like, I, how would, what sort of counseling would you give, to a young skier, and I'm talking someone in there, say, you know, who's 20. I know there's like, you know, there's yep. some really good fast skiers at Middlebury right now. So um yep. the counseling of, and again, I'm gonna use the word poison only because like it's sort of like forbid you know, it's like it's tempting, but maybe yep. it can be destructive because no one it's it's hard to become an Olympian. So if that's the benchmark yes right? And I'm hearing you say like that, not making it all of a sudden was a little bit of a tipping point for you in terms of like, okay, what's my buy-in? Um, how do we maybe, and maybe we don't, but I'm curious, would you suggest that maybe we evolve what the benchmark is, um, to keep people in it longer or, or I don't know. I don't know if that makes sense.
1: Yeah. I mean, so no, absolutely. I mean, I think obvi- obviously the Olympics are completely overrated. Like it's no real difference from world champs in terms of quality of skiers and competition, and you know the media hype is is too much in the states and worldwide. Like they just make it to be this ridiculously overpopulated event. That's just I think it's too much. But uh, obviously it's a you know highly respectable um, event and the most respected sporting organization kind of in the world but um, what I would tell the younger skiers is something kind of Logan Hanneman actually told me that when we were talking about this a few years ago he's like I mean you just have to focus on the process and you have to love the process and don't do it <laughs> for those end goals like because there's been some I mean I love skiing I love training but there were some times where I was doing it just to win and and if you don't win it's very, very painful and it's hard to win. Like people are good competitions deep. I mean, it's hard to win a ski race. Um, so doing it for the right reasons is really important. And I think just seeing all the the next generation of skiers, that's going to be replacing all of us in a year or two, you know, Gus and, and Ben and Luke and all those guys, um, they're gonna, they seem to be, they seem to love it. They have a great group of people they like to train and race with. They're, Incredibly successful, um, and I think they're going to carry the next generation of skiing. And I'm—I um, f- almost feel good stepping down in a way, like they'll be taking our our places. And uh, to focus on the process, to focus on short-term goals, like the daily goals, you know, get your workout done well. You build up to a big goal. I mean, everyone wants to make the Olympic time and like the glory of that. Um, but maybe, like, set it to, like, yeah, World Cups or a top 40 World Cup. Um, world Cups happen every year, world champs every two years. You know, the Olympics every four years, if if something happens. I mean, look at COVID-19 virus. Like, the Olympics might not even happen. And that's – they had no idea a few months ago. All these summer athletes training full-time, this could have been their, their race of their lifetime, and it might not happen, you know. You never know what's going to happen. And I think um, – and then are you going to be destroyed by that? Or are you going to find some kind of solace in your heart from that? Like that you've done what you needed to do and not making the Olympics will that make or break you, you know, there's, don't just have that one goal. Like I had that one goal and it, it kind of, it ruined a lot that the rest of my season in 2018 was an emotional roller coaster. Like, um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I think that, process goals is what Logan Hanneman told me. And I think that's a really smart thing to say, like got to enjoy the process and and the short term goals. And then, uh, almost, almost every time the bigger goals just happen. But if you focus on that big goal, then a lot of times you kind of self-sabotage them.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh. So what, what does the, you're obviously have, uh, you're, you're quite adept at riding a mountain bike as well. Um, Yes. Oh, yes, yes. Thanks. <laughs> um, so, but I am curious, like, what does the, I mean, you're stepping down from, you know I always say, like say, elite level competition, like you're not necessarily going to be at all the super tours aiming for world cup starts. Um, and I think right. of, I'm trying to think of a, a model here, uh, Matt Leapsch, right. <laughs> Who like shows yeah, up out yeah. of the, out of the cobwebs it's like he just popped the podium at nationals and or whatever. So like, what does it look like for you moving forward from like, you know, yeah. Life and keep like at the start line of potential cross country events next winter?
1: Yeah. I mean, well, I got to figure out kind of what a full-time job does to me. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) I'll figure that out. Um, but I, I'm going to keep training. I mean, the biggest like thing that I'll be missing is the fitness of being a full-time professional athlete. Like I'm going to miss that the most, just feeling like you can basically do anything, having the time and energy and support to train as much as you want. That's obviously going to be gone now. Um, so I'm going to try as hard as I can to keep whatever fitness I have. Um, probably training more like four to 500 hours a year instead of eight. Um, or whatever I can, I don't really, maybe less, I don't know. Um, but I'll be doing the same kind of like local professional mountain bike circuit, um, which is fun. And, and then for the skiing, I'll be doing whatever, you know, a full-time job allows probably New England races and maybe flying to the occasional weekend, you know, flying Friday and leaving Monday for like the, the weekend races at West or the Berkey, um, races like that. I'll probably target the Berkey. That's kind of my big goal. I've always wanted to do super well there, but it almost always coincides with the you know the later World Cups that I like to target as well. Um, I've raised two Berkeys and I got ninth in one of them. I'd really like to get a podium or if I I don't even know if it's possible anymore, but I'd love to win. That'd be so cool. Um, so we'll see. I mean, it'll be different though, you know, lining up on the ski race without the you know, hundreds of hours of training, but the years of experience I think will pay off a bit. So we'll see kind of how that works.
0: And are you planning on? residing in Burlington for the time being?
1: Yep. So, uh, I have a job at NRG systems, which is a renewable energy company in Hinesburg. And I'll be living in the Burlington, South Burlington area. Um, it's for the foreseeable future. Um, and hopefully, yeah, I think I'll just keep rolling with that setup.
0: Okay. Here, because this was a debate this morning. Uh, I had yeah. going a text with someone who's a retired sprinter who lives in bed Mm -hmm. standing desk or sitting desk
1: (laughs) (laughs) I think uh, so I'm working kind of building um, these like sensors for solar and wind power plants so I'll probably be doing a fair amount of both and like kind of walking around moving stuff but if I can I'll probably do a standing desk uh, for a little bit I don't don't really know but (laughs) sitting down might be nice (laughs) (laughs) right
0: I think that was my excuse this morning I was like I kind of like to sit sometimes (laughs) Um, yeah, <laughs> and and what was your? Are, are you an engineer, or were you an engineering major at Middlebury?
1: So I majored in physics, um, okay. hoping to go into. Some kind of engineering. So I kind of am in a lower um, tier job at NRG, but my goal is to end up being a mechanical engineer uh, for them if that is a possibility.
0: Okay. Do you have to go back to school at all for for that?
1: Um, I'm not totally sure. I definitely need to learn some of the computer science programs that they use, like the software they use. Um, I think they use like AutoCAD or something like that. Um but I don't know if they require a master's or not. That's something I'll have to look into in the future.
0: Okay. Um, anything I did not ask or cover that you're like, we need to cover this or we need to address this? I mean, yeah. No, I mean, it's first. just,
1: everyone just ask kind of why. And like, there's, you know, a hundred different reasons of just, i felt like, There's like, I mean, being a full-time athlete is so great, but it also limits so much else that you can give. Like, I've felt like a part of me has been so patient for like three to four years, like patiently waiting in the background. And that part of me is, you know, like, I mean, I spent a lot of time and energy ski racing and training and imagine what I could do Putting that time and energy to something else, like helping the world. I wanted to work in renewable energies for as long as I can remember. I want to like help solve the energy problems we have in this world, which is one of the greatest threats to the environment. You know, so on and so forth. And so, like, part of me was just waiting. It was like waiting while I could finish my ski career, and I I wanted to push myself as high as and as far as possible physically. You know, learning, you know, all the mental and physical components of being the best athlete I can. Um I always wish I got a top 30 in the World Cup. I always wish I just felt like I could compete a little bit more, but this last uh, few weekends on the World Cup, I felt I finally started to feel like I was having good races, which for me was shockingly rare in Europe. And so I had a few good races, my skis were competitive, which was also rare to get on the World Cup and and that was a good experience. I just really I never quite felt on the world cup like I did in the U S and that's something that's very frustrating. And then I got to the point like, well, is it worth it for another year of training? And I'm like, well, I don't know. It's not a guarantee. It's never a guarantee. And I just don't know if it's worth that sacrifice again. Like if I just keep repeating my same mistakes. Um, And then of course you never know when you're going to get sick or injured. Like I got hit by a truck, you know, you never know what's going to get, what's going to happen. So, um, and I just started to realize like, you know what, maybe it's time for me to do something more with my life than skiing. Cause skiing is great, but it's pretty selfish. Like everything I'm doing, I'm doing for me. And, and I want to help, I want to help the world or people more. Like I can do more with my time. Um, and I think I started to feel it. And there's that saying, like, once you know, you know, and I was, my heart was starting to tell me that I needed to, I was ready for something new. And it's, it was challenging. I mean, these last few weeks have been really hard. I'm going to miss Craftsbury a lot. I'm going to miss training and racing and traveling, but, but I'm also ready to, to do something more for this world than just being an athlete, you know?
0: Yeah. It sounds like you're making a, I mean, everyone has their own personal ways of navigating stuff. It sounds like you're, you're in a good spot and made a good choice for you at this juncture, you know?
1: Yeah. And I also, I mean, if anything, I'll have more time to like do clinics and, and, coaching and and doing stuff that people tell me they appreciate a lot like whenever i do a local clinic they're like well it's inspiring which is is humbling and It's great but i can do it more than once a year more than twice a year i can do it every other weekend maybe you know so it can be cool to reach out more to the local junior programs and
0: stuff. Yeah, like be that. careful because i'm someone listening to this might be like hey ben how about you coach the bkl kids <laughs> next <laughs> year Yeah, Yeah. that's true. Yeah, I'm sure. And there goes your weekends, right? Yeah. Um, Well, thanks again. And I have to say like, personally, it's always, I like, I I just like your style out there. I I feel like you're a grinder and you know, it's like the same with Dave Norris. I just like, I want you guys to do well and it's cool. Yeah. It's cool to, to see. So, congrats thank you uh stay in good health and thanks again for your time ben appreciate it
1: no problem let me know if you need anything else i will i will all right
0: thanks thank you all of us at faster skier hope everyone is doing well out there and has an opportunity in some
1: capacity to get outside thanks